Good morning, everyone. Friends, our first reading is an account of the early days of the church and uh, the order uh, compared to the gospel is a little about a sink. Uh, what's happening in the gospel is later, yeah, uh, is um, happening just before we heard about the first reading. In the first reading, we're told uh, about the disciples and about their testimony. They were, testimony, they were testifying in their city, in their present culture, um, about Jesus Christ, not just about anything, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection in body, not that he was a ghost or a spirit, that he was body. And this is what was getting them in trouble. And they, uh, as we were told, the apostles were courageous in their witness and testimony, even though they were going to lose friends and lose their honor. But they felt, in this case, they were glad to suffer for the name of Jesus. And our second reading, which comes from Revelation, is a canticle or a hymn of praise, and not only of the spirit world or the spiritual kingdom, but the earthly one on earth and everything below, we're told. And all the creatures sing glory to the one who sits on the throne. So my friends, um, one of the things about uh, Jesus, what we were hearing about, is uh, they don't understand who he is, or they seem confused by who he is. And uh, we saw that on the on the day of resurrection, Mary Magdalene is there, and she doesn't quite know who he is. And it takes some gestures and words for her to understand. In the same way, the resurrection stories of Jesus um, indicate uh, to us that he's not recognized by his closest friends who he was with for three years. And they don't seem to understand. And it would take words and gestures uh, for him to be known to them. Because we heard... Uh, when they get on the shore with him, uh, he does something, and they said, oh, now we recognize. We're not going to ask who he is, because now we know who he is. And um, it makes the point that the resurrection is not just the return to earthly life as it was. Something is different. Jesus has risen to new life beyond human death, we understand. Um, so my friends, this last night when I was thinking about it, he's the same Jesus, uh, but yet transformed, and um, he is not as he was, but he is still who he was. And this is confusing for the, for the disciples. My friends, I, as I look now and move into the gospel for you, uh, certainly there's many ways to understand this gospel account. And, uh, but I want to take a look at, in particular, a theme that comes out from there. And I've been telling the masses uh, yesterday and today um, while I don't share my vocation story in great detail, or very often, most of you now, I've been here with you seven years, um, understand that just out of a couple years out of high school, I went to the seminary, but I left uh, for a number of years. Um, but then I returned to the seminary, and um, here I am now as your priest, as your pastor, and I was given a second chance for the priesthood. And I remember and thank Archbishop Burnett. Archbishop Burnett is the one Patrick was talking about who got lost, who <laughs> couldn't find the, the parish. Um, and uh, I also thank Archbishop Vigneron of Detroit because he was the bishop who released the information uh, about me in the seminary when I initially went. And uh, that certainly is not the only second chances that God has given me. 
has given me others, but um, that is for another time to speak about. My friends, it is not often that we get a second chance at things, and um, there certainly are gifts, and uh, particularly when we make mistakes to be given a second chance, uh, it truly is a gift. And in today's gospel account, that is exactly what's happening. The Lord is giving the apostles a gift, a gift of a second chance. We are told that some of the apostles returned to their previous way of life. Uh, I know someone said, well, it just says he went fishing. I'm like, yeah, it's not a leisure thing for him. That's what he did before. He was working. He went back to work as a fisherman. In this, we understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, their friend, had not yet taken hold on their hearts and minds. They didn't understand. So they just went back to their previous way of life. Everything was over. Nothing was as he said. So we're just going to go back to our regular lives. And uh, they were acting as if nothing happened. But I think what was really going on, they were trying to forget this because it was so painful to them. This is their friend, and he was executed. What could they do but go back to their old ways? But my friends, uh, what they needed is what we know from the Protestant brothers and sisters. They needed a revival. A revival. And this is exactly what they're going to get. They needed a revival to become those disciples they were meant to be, to be witnesses to the very life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Messiah. And that is exactly what Jesus is giving them. So my friends, here we are now. This is the third Sunday in the Easter time. And on Easter Sunday, Father's heart was just filled with joy. He was exhausted, but he was filled with joy because the place was filled it was standing room only. At the 11 o'clock mass, there was 175 people outside. The church was filled, and it appeared to me as pastor that their faith was being kindled within them. They were strengthened. My friends, now we are two weeks past Easter, and it seems like they've run out of steam because they're not outside. <laughs> and we got some room here in the inside, huh? And so I pray that I will see them before Christmas. <laughs> um, my friends, I used to tell people at Easter, you're alive. You've been resurrected. I haven't seen you since Christmas. I thought you were dead. <laughs> but the look I got from the people, were like, <laughs> so I thought, I better not say that anymore publicly to them. So my friends, in our gospel, we have what I call three events or three moments that are happening. The meal. And I like talking about the meal because we're told Jesus is at the beach having a barbecue. That's what charcoal fire, barbecue. See, he's on the seashore. He's having a, he's having a barbecue. And he's having a barbecue because ghosts don't have barbecues. Spirits don't have barbecues. People have barbecues. There's also the mission. Jesus has a very, very frank conversation with one of his friends and gives them a mission. And then there's the martyrdom that he will speak of. And all of these have something to say to us here in Gig Harbor in 2022. And so, my friends, let's first look at the meal. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was discussing at that meal with them on the beach. 
we got a little glimpse of a conversation with Peter. But, I mean, what were they talking about when they were eating? My friends, one of the things about the meal, and I believe this is what Jesus was doing, he was triggering their memories. He reminded them about many things. First, what happens is the way he calls them, talks to them. Do you remember how he called them initially when he went into ministry? Remember, he walks up on the shore, calls them. And they had been out fishing. They didn't have anything. And Jesus tells them something ridiculous because they're fishermen. So this scene opens with that. Children, have you caught anything? No. Throw your net over. Wait a minute. This, is, this happened before. So he's triggering their memory. With the meals, he calls them to eat. Come, have breakfast with me. Eat with me. And in the past... They had eaten many meals with Jesus in his earthly life. There was the one where he multiplied the fish and the loaves. Remember? On the Sermon on the Mount, he, he's having a meal with over 5,000, but with them, for sure. Then Jesus does something that gets him in trouble. He goes to Matthew, the tax collector. I'm coming to your house, and I want you to invite your tax collector friends. <gasps> those are all sinners, those tax collectors. And Jesus is going to have a meal with them there. Jesus honored the tradition, as he was Jewish, of the Passover meals. And he celebrated Passover with them. And then finally, the Last Supper, the great Last Supper that he had with them. My friends, now, after the resurrection, they are at meal again. Jesus has called them. And it is through his symbols and signs. He says, come, eat with me, sit. He takes bread. And we're told, they recognize him now. And here was their second chance to be in union with him at the meal. So my friends, here, this is our seashore now. And Mass, Mass is your time to renew your union with Christ. It reminds us of other meals that you've had. One of the, this is a sacrifice, but it is a meal also here. And many of you have had other meals with him, too. First communion, which we'll celebrate in a couple weeks here with our little ones. And then there's the Mass of Confirmation uh, that Patrick was talking about. And you remember and experience Confirmation, the meal, because that's celebrated at Mass. And then we have Masses of Matrimony, where a husband and wife come together. They come together to become wife. That's a meal. And then, of course, the ones that most of you experience more, funerals, where someone passes and we have a funeral mass. And my friends, in each of these meals, the Lord is here and he teaches and he speaks to us. And he draws us to him, saying the same, come, sit, have meal with me, celebrate the mass. He gives us himself over and over and over again in the Eucharist. And my friends, in these times, in this world, and in this culture, we need Mass every Sunday. Not once in a while, you need it every Sunday. We need the Eucharist because the Eucharist has the power to renew us, to give us that revival every time, and to give us that identity, remind us of the identity we have as his disciples. Because in this world, and in this culture, and in this society, it pulls us away from him. And this is his way of making us remember. 
And now we come to mission. Jesus gives mission. Jesus takes Peter aside <laughs> and asks him three questions. Do you love me? And I know you have studied the gospel. You know what's happening. Jesus denied him three times, so Christ has given the opportunity to kind of do something different. So he asks him, do you love me? And uh, there's this forgiveness that's happening. Peter needed it. It was a gift of a second chance for Peter. And if you notice from uh, the questioning, Jesus, do you love me? Peter responds, I, yes, I do. I love you. And then Jesus tells him to do something. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep, my people. Take care of my people. So he's asked to do something. And Peter would. He would show that love not by words, but by actions and deeds. He would go and he would, under God's, under Christ's grace, develop the church. He would tend to the flock to the end. So my friends, you are the disciples today here in Gig Harbor in this church in 2022. So that means you are being, I said this is the seashore, so Jesus is giving you mission also. You are his disciples, so he's giving you a mission. And you are called to care for a portion of that flock. In my case, for Father Mark, it's a parish, so I must tend the parish. But for many of you, it will be your family members. For many of you, it will be your husband or your wife or your children. That's tending to the flock. For some of you, it will be in the workplace with your co-workers, looking out for them, trying to take care of them. Whoever it is that the Lord is putting in your path is the one he wants you to tend to. Like Peter, we will show our love by, to our Lord not only by the words, but by caring for others. And that will mean caring for them, for their minds, for their bodies, for their souls, speaking and testifying about God to them. That's the mission Jesus gave to Peter on the seashore. And that's what the Lord gives each of you each time you come to Mass, and he gives it to you almost the way did Peter come here. I want to talk to you. The same way Jesus is going to, woman, come here. I have something I need you to do. In a sense, then, each Mass is a second chance for us to renew our dedication to the good of his church, to the good of our society. And finally, there is martyrdom. Jesus speaks to Peter about his death. And although, in this case, martyrdom, as we understand it, is heroic witness, and that's how we define sainthood, heroic faith, my friends, there are many ways to go about giving strong witness, and all of you are called to do this. In our times, you, the disciples, are called to speak out about the sacredness of life, about the dignity of of all human people, all human people. You are to testify to and strengthen the dignity of the family. And I'll use terms that Sada uses, family, the nuclear family. The nuclear family is important to society. It is the nucleus of society. So you must speak about this. You must testify 
You must stand up for the dignity of all human people and the sacredness. Um, I laugh about this one because I didn't know how to write it. The sacredness, here's Father Mark's words, the sacredness of the expression of physical love in the bonds of matrimony. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. <laughs> I kept rewriting and rewriting it. Now, how do you say this? How do you say this? Especially when the children are around because they're going to turn around. What does he mean by that? <laughs> But this society has taken that physical, sacred love between two people and turned it into filth. Your children know that. We know that. So we are called to testify to the sanctity and the great holiness of that physical type of love. We are called to testify to having civility amongst people and societies and to have respect for others, especially in these times when it's so polarized. Each of you are called to give witness. And my friends, and it may not be at the risk of your life, but I guarantee when you stand up for the values of Jesus Christ, you are going to risk your popularity and your standing in society. You are going to risk some friendships also. People and family may walk away from you. Although one cannot predict what awaits us in the future, but here at Mass we are given a second chance to receive grace for that witness in our world, to witness to Him and His truth. Here at Mass, this seashore, we have a meal. We have mission. Each Mass we have the Eucharist, the sacrament and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, where you have the second chance to renew yourselves, to come into that revival he calls us to as followers of him, to renew your commitment to the good of his church, to tend his flock, to receive grace for your own personal witness of Christ in the world. My friends, and here is the inescapable truth about Peter and the apostles. They are remembered not because they abandoned Jesus at some point in time. They are remembered because they were given a second chance and what they did with that second chance. They took that opportunity and they built up God's glory in the kingdom and the church here. And our world and our society and us are better because of it. That is, in the inescapables, it changed. What happened over 2,000 years ago changed everything. So my friends, my hope for you is that the final truth about each of you, his disciples, will not be found in any possible departures from the Lord that may have happened, but that you have used your second chance with him to give his Father glory, just as the original apostles did. Now, my friends, um, I've been telling folks in those times when, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, I, I'm assuming you guys all know this, there was no Bible. There was the Old Testament or the Torah. The New Testament didn't exist. It hadn't been written yet. So the first gospel was written 60 years by St. Mark after the resurrection. So the, the apostles are testifying by their experience, and they're going around talking their experience. Eventually someone's going to be writing it down, and we'll get the New Testament. 
And this is what's really important. This is, I know I've been talking a lot, but this is the one thing that I want you to understand. What was going on when Jesus arrives? The religious leaders of Jesus' time were telling the people that God hated them because they were sinners and they would always be sinners. Go back and read. The Pharisees and scribes were different. Jesus loved them because they did everything perfect. If you could not do everything perfectly, God didn't like you anymore. That's not true. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. Now, his children sometimes say and do things that are not nice, but he doesn't hate. So Jesus comes to refute this. His friends, those apostles, at that last supper, when Jesus is saying he's leaving, he tells them, I'm leaving, and one of them says, wait, you need to show us the Father. And when they say, show us the Father, he's, tell us who he is. So here was their challenge in Jesus' time. People wanted to know what God was like. And that it doesn't even like us. Because they were told he didn't. And Jesus comes and delivers an answer. I can just picture Jesus. Like you? My Father loves you. He loves us in spite of ourselves. He loves us not because we are good or that we do good, but because he is good. In the midst of their troubled hearts, Jesus tries to ease this for them. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to see his Father. In fact, he told them, anyone who has seen me has seen my Father. The Father wants you to know him and to see him and to experience him. That is why he sent his Son. That is why his Son came. And Jesus says, you believe in God, believe in me. He went on to tell them, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and we are one. And Jesus went further, and he said, okay, if you don't believe these words that I've just said, believe in, if you will, the evidence of my work. And the first thing we think of of evidence is that he was healing people, but that is not the evidence. The evidence is what moved those apostles Jesus was raised from the dead in the body and walked around and had a barbecue. He did more. <laughs> the disciples, as we were told, were locked in a room and scared out of their wits. Something changed. The disciples were moved from fear and troubled hearts to people of courage and something that's needed today, people of hope. And they walked in holiness because they saw him alive. He walked around with them. That is the evidence that Jesus, I think, was referring to. And that's what changed the apostles. They fixed their eyes on Jesus. And they never took their eyes off of him ever again. And it changed their lives. And it changed the history of humanity from that point on. And that is irrefutable. People may not like God, but the one thing that is 
they cannot refute is that that event changed everything. The people of Jesus' time wanted to know what God is like and if he liked them. The people of our time is asking the same thing. What is God like? And does he like us? If you take your eyes off of Jesus, you will miss the Father. For Jesus is the best and closest way to know in this world and this life what God is like. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus came and stood in their midst and walked with them and laughed with them and ate with them. You may question lots of things. The one thing you should never question anymore or wonder about, where do you stand with God? Jesus has come and told you. You stand with God and he loves you. You should never wonder about that. You can wonder about whether you're doing what he wants. That's okay. But not that he loves you. Do not wonder or doubt that. Jesus tells his friends, have faith. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. So I tell you, have faith. Do not be unbelieving, but believe in his words. Amen?